everyone, and welcome to The Art of Podcasting, Episode 4, Bringing It All Together, recorded March 11th, 2012, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. This week, we're going to assemble all of the pieces that we've given you over the last three episodes and talk about the mechanics and the techniques of actually recording a live show. We've talked about your, your prep and, and how to get things together and choose your equipment, and this week, we're going to talk about the actual doing of the thing. So, uh, and with me this week, as always, are the co-hosts of this show, Mr. Uh, Steve Cherubino of podnuts.com. Hey, Steve, what's going on? What's going on, Mark? Life I'm doing good. I'm good. All right. And Mr. James Messer, known as the Professor, professormesser.com. Hey, James, what's up? Howdy. I'm ready to learn how to do the thing with the stuff. <laughs> there's In the a, room. There's a singer, uh, one of those singer-songwriter kind of guys that I really like. His name's Bob Bennett. And one of his songs is called The Doing of the Thing. And that, that made me think of that. <laughs> so, uh, James, you sound and look a little different tonight. Would you like to explain to our audience why that is? I've turned into a wolf. Okay. <laughs> it was a full moon this week. To this week, I am, uh, I am mobile. I am traveling. And one of the things that occurred to me, of course, hours before my flight was to leave was, gosh, I should consider doing some audio from the road, considering that we will be recording a podcast at the same time. And of course, with two hours notice, there's really nothing you can do. So one of the things we'll talk about tonight is what did I come up with? And then secondly, what should I do next? Uh, because I can't imagine this will be the only time during the week I normally am traveling. I'm in a hotel room. I'm doing something. So I managed to put enough pieces together to get a somewhat passable system in place. But I'm never happy with my audio. So I've got some ideas for next time of what we can do. I built a little portable rig for when I was uh, going to a conference a couple of years ago. It had uh, a little mini mixer and three microphones and a recording device all in a backpack. So I could just pull the mics out of the backpack and hand them to people and, and record. Nice. Um, it was a good idea. I never actually got to use it, so I don't know if it worked. But uh, <laughs> uh, it was it was one of those. Maybe I'll map all that out someday. And the whole thing was you know inexpensive and, and easy to go and battery powered and fit on a backpack and it was uh i thought i was going to change the world but didn't work out <laughs> you're, you're changing the world element opie there we go taking over the world i don't want to change it i want to own it <laughs> i want to bring rupert murdoch to his knees <clears throat> sounds like a good idea <laughs> so my first rant this week is time changes should be banned it's 2012 people let's stop this now here here now i understand the idea was all about daylight savings right you're saving daylight you're not using lights uh, a quick poll of the audience how many of you had a light on for more than 12 hours yesterday anyway i did yeah yep yeah, that's what you do. You get up in the morning and you turn lights on. doesn't matter if it's light or dark outside. We don't have, if we have windows, we have blinds on them now. We're not, our houses aren't set up to take care of natural light. We're not using candles anymore. It's stupid. We're not saving anybody anything. We're just making it ridiculous. That's all I got to say about that. Stop time zone abuse. I, I didn't know it was to save uh, electrical power. I didn't know that's why it started. Well, originally when Ben Franklin introduced it, it was to save candles. And then later when it was reintroduced, it was to give people more time during World War II to uh, work in their victory gardens after work. They came home after work. They still had some light. They could work outside. Um, and then most recently when uh, the Bush administration extended it, their uh, rationale was that it would save so many barrels of oil. 
All of which I think is complete drivel. I don't know. I've saved an awful lot of candles so far. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I can't <laughs> remember uh, the number of candles I've used in, in 2012. It's, it's less than one. Yes. Sure. So, so you got that. Yeah. I think that, that one was on a birthday cake at that. Those poor folks that are in Arizona and Indiana, there's, there's no candles saved there. Right. Yeah. And I, I appreciate their stand, stand firm there in Arizona. We don't change our clocks. You adjust to us, deal with it. So they're either <laughs> in the Pacific time zone or the, the Eastern or the mountain time zone. They change or it's either central or mountain. I forget which it is. I don't but know. They just, they just shift time zones and they're fine with that. <laughs> awesome. So, so what do you guys got this week? Anything interesting? Uh, before we start in with the heavy stuff, I got a little win, like a little win I had. Uh, I, I was telling you guys before the show, I launched a site yesterday with a fellow named Chris Barry. Anybody who has listened to Podnuts knows who he is. And uh, it's called wisetechnician.com. And what, we basically, uh, what I basically did is the website work, and uh, I made a little preview video with some background music. And I had the toughest time trying to find the best background music that I, w that I was happy with for this preview video. And uh, I just went to my clutch program and I have to bring it up because it's so fun. It's easy to use. And if you're, if you're stuck trying to find intro music for a podcast or you want to kind of like really make it your own, Magic's Music Maker is the, the thing to get. It's M-A-G-I-X. I think it's a German company. They make this software called Samplitude. And uh, Magic's Music Maker is like this loop-based program where you can just slap all these loops in and, and make some good quality music instantly. It's so fast and it sounds good and you can customize it and it, you can tailor it the way you want and put little fills in where you want things to happen. And it's a, for the money, it's, it's unbeatable and it does a really good job. Um, and now it comes packaged with a scaled down version of Samplitude and a C and a DVD that has like 6,000 loops for, and the whole package is 59 bucks. So you get Magic's Music Maker, uh, they call it Music Studio, which is a scaled down version of Samplitude and a DVD. Unbeatable. It's the bargain of the year, if you ask me. So Those loop makers are such fun to play with. I have one on my iPad called Looptastic and it, it's, it's almost a game. When you're making the music, it's so much fun. And at yeah. the end of it, you've got a final product you can do something with. Yeah. Yeah, and you can, it, you can call it your own, you know, really have a good customized sound in, instead of just uh, hunting and pecking for, for uh, pod safe music. It's just another alternative. Have right. you ever seen guys uh, build loops live, like street performers who start out and lay a track and record it? And it's really fascinating to watch them build an entire composition, one instrument at a time, one, you know, four measure riff at a time. Oh, yeah. They get really good. I mean, it's very intricate. All right. So uh, check that out. I, it, before the show, Steve held up the box that it came in, and I thought, I don't remember the last time I saw a software box. Do software love, still come in boxes? I love buying software in boxes. I can't get away from it. <laughs> remember when there were boxes? <laughs> yeah. Everything is sort of digital download these days. It's rare that uh, that I see a box anymore. I get a license code and a link. You know, that's kind of the way it goes. Yes, it's true. Uh, question from the chat room is music, uh, whatever you just said, is it uh, Windows, Mac, Linux, cross-platform? Do you know? It's PC. PC it's on PC only. No Mac. Otherwise, I would install. I would have installed it on the Mac. Uh, I don't think the uh, that Samplitude is Mac either. Uh, let me just double check. Nope. PC. But 
There you go. All right. So now you know. And you said for the money, how much did it cost you? 60 bucks. Now, I used to, I, I bought the earlier version of just regular Magic's Music Maker without all the other crap, and it was like 40 bucks. But then when they, they actually bundle Samplitude in with this thing, Samplitude is a pro-level program. And even though this is a scaled-down version of Samplitude, it's, it's, it's so feature-rich that it will confuse the heck out of you if you don't know what you're looking at. So um, it's, it's got everything in this little box. Yeah, it's rare in any software to have something that is both powerful and simple to use. Uh, generally, the more powerful it gets, the the, the steeper the learning curve. Yeah, that's, they, they actually package both programs in with this, so you got the easy one and the hard one. We we could almost have another podcast, uh, a separate uh, entire episode, just on trying to find music for podcasts because you would think it would be a very easy thing to do, and it is an extremely difficult thing to do uh, for free. It's it's easy if you want to go buy a track somewhere but you're spending $30 or more, depending on what your podcast is doing. And uh, these little loop makers are so easy because when you're done, it's yours. You own the copyright. You can do whatever you want with it. Yeah, I, I, I'm amazed how much time I spend trying to find music when I'm like making a product or doing something. And that takes up more time than that always takes up the most time. Right. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, and, yep. and you might find something that's really good and it's Creative Commons license and you can use it, but it... You, you need eight seconds out of this four minute song uh, to, you know, just for the intro or just for this interstitial clip. And then if you're trying to put something behind it, you almost always want just instrumental. Uh, you don't want vocals. It, it gets, uh, it gets really uh, difficult. That is a good idea. I'll put that in the uh, show notes ideas. Um, cool. What, what I've taken to doing is I have lots of musician friends and I just call them up and say, Hey, will you write me something? And most of the time they will. Or uh, what's a good one is like, here's uh, do you have a song that you haven't released? but you recorded that for some reason you didn't like, can you just sh throw me like the gum drum guitar and bass tracks mm. of, of a song? That's and, awesome. Uh, that, that works sometimes too. Nice. That is cool. It helps to know musicians. But uh, If you have a Mac, just use GarageBand. That's what I say. <laughs> I wish there were a Windows equivalent to GarageBand, but I have no There is. Found. It's called um, MixCraft. It's as close as you're going to get to GarageBand, but for the price of MixCraft, you can get some... Some stuff that's actually better than GarageBand for PC. Yeah, but the, that you said it right there. As close as you're going to get. There's yeah. nothing that I've ever found that is just that good. A good web-based right. alternative is uh, Jam Studio is really good. And um, um, part of the Aviary Suite, I forget which one that is, is very good for that too. Uh, they're they're GarageBand-ish and they're free and they're, they're web-based. Uh, wow. So you might want to check those out for making your own stuff. Yeah. I have never heard of them. Sound? I'll check it out. See if you were listening to our Taiwan Tech episode, we did a whole show about that. But it's okay. Mm. I'm not ah. going to hold it against you for not listening. Thanks, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> um, one last thing I wanted to mention, just put it out there because I don't have anything to talk about yet. Is I'm considering building a real studio. Well, not a real studio, a physical structure. Uh, as I've mentioned before, I'm, I'm currently in about a hundred dollars worth of styrofoam, and that's my studio. Um, and I'm thinking of before the summer comes, before it gets really hot, of actually building a real room. Um, and I've uh, priced it out, and, and it's actually not that bad. You can build build something and include some really good uh, sound uh, proofing for you know for a small space, a ten by ten space would only cost you thousand dollars or less if you did the work yourself. So it's it's something I'm considering doing. Uh, I'm somewhat handy, and I think I would be able to do it. Uh, and I think I, I like the idea of walking into a relatively soundproof, climate-controlled 
uh, room and say, you know, I'm in the studio. I am that- on version two of my studio, and there's not a time when I'm not thinking about what my next studio will be. Uh-huh. And I think until you build one yourself, that'll always be the case. If you're always using an existing space, it's never going to be quite right. And maybe even after you build one yourself, you'll look at it and say, ah, I need to rip this whole thing down and start over again. You know, there's always little things. Right. It sounds like a fun project. Know what I recommend to you, Mark? Listen to as many episodes of Home Recording Show as you can because there's sound treatment. You know, if you're building a studio, you don't want your walls to be perpendicular. You know what I mean? There's different little things well you know you've been in the field that especially when you you when you're monitoring your sound back you want your sound to sound good so i'm finding out and i don't i don't even practice it that good i'm finding out that sound treated rooms is a huge huge factor in a studio right and i just i never do anything for sound treatment and that's i I, I can only imagine how much better my room would sound i think it's different for voice versus instruments I have listened to that show. You mentioned it uh, last episode or maybe two ago, and yeah. I, I've added it to my feed, and I've gone back and listened to a lot of them. And a lot of what they talk about is recording instruments, and, and, and a lot of times you want room noise when you're recording instruments. But for sure. vocals, for a podcast, you want a, an anechoic chamber, ideally. You want a dead space. At least that's uh, what I, I got think. you. That's I got what you. I think, because you don't want any re- reverb. You don't want anything, any character to your voice. You want to add that after the fact. That that's well, For recording, opinion. for recording, I could see that. Right. But when you monitor it and you're mixing everything down, uh, you, do you do that through headphones or do you use monitors? No, I do headphones. Oh, headphones? Okay, I guess yeah. it doesn't matter then. Yeah. And, cool. and, and again, I'm not doing pro quality uh, stuff. It, it gets crump, cranked down into a 128K MP3 anyway. Uh, so I think that uh, a lot of the stuff they talk about is pro you know, recording band sort of stuff. And that's great yes. if you want to do that. But I don't, yeah. I don't think it translates to podcasting. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, but I think that for podcasting, you want a small dead space with just you and the mic. Sounds good. That's what I think. Yeah. When I looked at my studio, it was also the video aspect of it as well. It wasn't just audio, of course, audio was very important to me. And I ended up putting, uh, curtains along two entire walls of my studio and deadened it out uh, remarkably along with new carpeting. Uh, but I then had to think about where are my cameras going to be? How far away from my from me is the camera going to be? What type of lighting should I have in there? And you throw all those variables in there, and you're constantly tweaking, or or in my case, already in my mind, redesigning the entire space of what mm-hmm. it's going to be someday. But James, huh. I, I haven't known you long, but I can already tell from what I do know of you, you're never a satisfied individual. Never. Yeah, it's not possible to satisfy. Never. <laughs> And I'm sure mm-hmm. if I talked to your wife, she would uh, she would amplify that sentiment as well. I'll walk in with a new plan to her. Look at this. I could have a studio or I'll see a podcast or a video podcast that someone does and say, look at what he's doing with green screen. And, you know, if somebody really does something well and I'll see, wow, I could do a green screen like this because this one actually looks good. Or I'll have somebody who's doing an audio podcast and look at what they've got set up around them and think maybe that's good to put in. Yeah. So I'm I'm not that good at designing myself, but I'm really good at stealing from others. Yeah, and the more you <laughs> learn about this sort of stuff, the the more you see that other people aren't doing it well. I mean, when when I watch the local TV news now, I see the green screen and I see the little halo around them, and I'm thinking, come on, guys, you're you're a you're a million dollar <laughs> studio, really? You couldn't do better than my friend Steve, who does it with a five hundred dollar piece of software, really? Um, it's tough, low budget. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then you know, once you learn about audio, you start hearing 
you know, uh, the little mistakes. Like there's this one, one of my favorites, uh, rock albums from the nineties. If you listen carefully, you can actually hear where one of the guitar players kid was in the studio. You can hear him talking <laughs> and it picks up through the guitar mic. It's just for like a half a second. But once you notice it, you can never unnotice it ever again. What, what, what song is that? Uh, it's, it's a band you've never heard of called, uh, uh, Rose. And they were, they were doing a song and, and you could hear like maybe a two or three year old kid, uh, say something that comes up through one of the, the, the drum mics. That's awesome. I, I listen to obscure nineties Christian metal. So yeah, you, I could mention 50 of my favorite bands and you would never have heard of any of them. Hence the, hence the intro music for this show. Now <laughs> yes, it all makes sense. It's all, I, all the stuff for on element OP are, are pretty much hard rock except for one. Yeah. I gotcha. And <laughs> you just called me obscure nineties. I appreciate that. Right on. <laughs> But hey, it was free music, right? Yes. Okay, so let's move right along into uh, the whole idea of of making this thing work. And and I think um, what'll be interesting, and I think uh, James will have more uh, commentary on this than the other two of us. Uh, what maybe Steve from from your early days is the difference between doing a single person show and a multi participant show. I've never done a single person show. In fact, I don't like single person shows. I think they tend to be boring uh, in general. Um, now if it's a person who's interacting with a chat room, that's different, but it's, if when somebody comes up with a, a, a set of notes or a script or whatever, and talks to me for 40 minutes, I get bored with that. Um, and I understand James, that's the nature of what you do. You're doing training. There's, it's very difficult to do that, but let's just talk, uh, just a little bit about your experience with, with the, the, the one voice versus the multiple. And, and James, we'll start with you because you recently made that transition. I did. I went from. Uh, having a podcast about a year ago that was a, uh, a show you the new technology kind of podcast. It was a video podcast, and every week I would demonstrate a new product. Maybe there would be a new version of a browser out. I'd show what was new in that browser. Maybe there was a great unerased program because my, my son will have erased my, our entire uh, vacation videos off the off the <laughs> recorder and had to find a way to fix it. And I thought there's a great topic for a podcast. So it would be me demonstrating that. And it was usually a 30 to 45 minute of me showing how all of these things worked. And you mentioned how boring that could be. It's not just boring for the people who might be listening, <laughs> but it's boring for the person who's doing it to, <laughs> to put this together. Because um, it's just me and I'm talking, I'm telling stories and I'm putting it on there. But I, but I have to wonder in the back of my head, is this really compelling? Is it really that interesting? And, and occasionally I get feedback about this, this episode was good, but it's one of those where you have to be very succinct. You have to make sure you hit the topic. There can't be a lot of, hi, welcome to the podcast. Here's me. And, and spend five minutes talking about you because it's just you and really we should get into the topics. About uh, three months ago, I decided to do a podcast with another person, with my wife. So I drug her into the studio. We set up a time on Saturday and we started doing a podcast together and that, because I, I kept telling her about how this one person thing to me wasn't working as well as I wanted it to di directly to your point, Mark. It, it's, there's something else about having multiple people in the podcast going back and forth and back and forth that to me makes something more compelling. And so that's what we did. We created What a Week. And, and we were able to grab these stories up through the week that I thought were really interesting stories, really, really uh, compelling information 
things that, but you never heard about because there was Super Tuesday or there was an earthquake or other things that were going on in the world. And the normal mainstream media just weren't catching these really unique, interesting things that were going on elsewhere. And that I thought was a, a better way to do it. And we did it on a live stream, which is also different than what I was doing by myself. So it, it was one of these where there's, there's also the live component, a couple of people. And, and I think it made a big difference. And I don't know if I would go back to doing the single podcast again. I mean, I do still do my training videos where it's just me, but, but I like that idea of having another person there. I just think it's a better style, a better, uh, a better way to do it. Now, if you listen to some of the recordings or podcasts done by people who are by themselves, the ones that do it well are really good. And you could listen to them for an hour and they will talk about the things they're doing. But I think having two people for most people who are putting together a podcast is something they should really consider. All right. I agree. You, you look at the the best in the world of radio, uh, just to name two huge names, whether you agree with them or not, uh, Rush Limbaugh and uh, Howard Stern are two guys who have the skills to do things on their own, but they don't. They either have co-hosts or, or uh, uh, call-ins or, or both. And so I think that speaks volumes, that these guys who are at the pinnacle of their game still choose not to be the only guy talking for an hour and a half at a time or three hours or whatever. I'd love to do like a call-in show. I think that would be really interesting. It's another one of those yet another technical thing to throw into our entire studio to completely mess up everything that we're doing. Well, that's what's going to happen because going from <laughs> – I've been there. Going from single – person speaking to have inviting somebody else is a whole another level of technology that you have to know because like it says in the notes here mark we might as well jump right to it when you're speaking with to somebody else and you want to record that you basically need to send your voice to them they need to send their voice to you but you can't send each other's voices to yourselves otherwise it's going to loop over and over and it's just an infinite loop of audio mess so that's the trick is, is finding all these routings to get the audio to the correct person and get the correct audio recorded and everything to be all nice. And I've sat in front of my computer and equipment for hours looking at it going, how the heck do I do this? How right. can I just hear myself and just record him and record this and, and just the figure it all mix out? Minus. That's it's called the, mix the minus, of, yeah. The bane of every, every uh, podcaster's existence. Uh, but Steve, uh, before we get to that, you talked about uh, early on that when you started your show, it was just you. How, how did you make that transition, and why did you choose to make that transition? Uh, it was just me for like the first, maybe the first episode. And then uh, I made the transition because I thought it would be fun to have somebody else who could talk with me because I thought, I think basically it was a long time ago, but I thought I was going to run out of stuff. I think that's went through my mind. Like I would run out of content. So it was nice to have somebody else there to pick up the slack when I forgot something or didn't know what to say next. And so I brought in a friend of mine. We did it live in the studio and that's kind of easy too. You got right. somebody live that's in the studio. Hard. You got two mics set up, put a little mixer in there, record it. You're good to go. But then when you, you start getting Skype guests on, you have to start treating equipment as people like i <laughs> yeah. when this is how you have to do it when i had my uh first skype guest i took i had a macbook laptop and i treated that laptop as that person and that person's mouth was the output the speaker output of the laptop 
And that person's ears was the microphone into that laptop. So if you treat equipment as people, you can kind of think with this, how you're going to get rem- guests who are remote in remote locations, how to get them treated as if they're guests in your studio. That's how I kind of figured it out. Yeah, and if you've seen like Leo Laporte do it, he literally does that. He has a television sitting beside <laughs> him at his desk. Yeah. And he, you know, he talks to that person, uh, you know, uh, as a sort of an avatar. Yes. It it makes sense. It just feels right and it it helps you with the routings when you treat it like that. Yeah. Um How so, do you do it, Mark? Well, th- I have always from day 1 it was a two man show uh, when when I was first uh, just to tell you a little bit of my uh, my story I don't think I have um I I I'm a reluctant podcaster uh my my friend Sean who's the the partner in in Element OP and, and my co-host on the Tightwad Tech show um is a was an avid pa- podcast listener and he said you know you've got a great voice you communicate well you really need to do a show you need to do a podcast you would do it well and I was like, ah, you know, I like doing that sort of stuff. I like recording. I like playing with it, but I'm not really. And he hounded me for over a year really? about this. So finally I said, okay, if I'm going to do a show, you're going to do it with me because I'm not going to talk to myself. Um, uh, it's going to be the both of us. And we came up with the idea of the Taiwan Tech, which was, you know, two guys talking about the way they do things that, that may be novel. It may be unique to the way other people do it. Uh, and it's, you know, we worked, uh, we, uh, worked for a very small uh, rural school, and so we faced challenges that um, the other podcasters we heard didn't face. You know, um, and we 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 thought, okay, we're, this is how we're going to do it. So everything I've done uh, from that on, then on, we now have six shows on the network, and they've I've always had co-host, and a co-host to me is um, more important even than the material. You have to have a, a, a an identity for your podcast. You have to know where you're going, but the people are more important than the content. If you get people on who are entertaining and energetic and who you have a good rapport with, you can talk about boring stuff and make right. it interesting. Right. But if you're just you um, and you hit a dry topic, you, you're stuck, you know? And and maybe it's just I'm not good enough to do it that way. Maybe the really, really good guys, and, and like James said, the ones who do it well are are super experts in their field. And, and they're just, they're brilliant and you listen to them because they're brilliant and they manage to get past that boredom factor. But aside from boredom, it's also easy to sound arrogant without meaning to because you're, you're the only guy there. There's nobody there to, to uh, play off of, nobody there to challenge your ideas, nobody there to correct you if you misspeak. And so it becomes easy to sound like a, a gas bag um, when you're in the studio by yourself. So I, I um, when people come to me and ask about podcasting and say, I'm, I'm going to do, you know, a show. I always strongly encourage that, that you don't do a one-man show. However, in terms of technology and equipment, and it's the easiest way to do it. Yeah. Um, and so that's why a lot of people start out that way because it's easy. Yeah. yeah now, now that you're talking about it, I, when I started PodNuts Daily, now that I think about it, I did several shows just myself. And it, well, I think the main reason why I did get somebody else is because I let, ran out of content. But doing a one-man show is doable. Um, but the trick is, listen, like you said, you might start to sound arrogant. You have to listen back to your shows after you, you do your shows. You got for quality control, not, right. not to just to hear your own voice. For quality control, you got to listen back to your own shows and correct whatever you see is wrong. I, I do what amounts to a one-man podcast. Uh, once a month, I do a study group for A+, and once a month, I do a study group for Network+. 
but it's really not just me talking the whole time. Throughout the month, I have people sending me questions. And so I take an hour out on a live stream with live chat, and I just go through the questions and answer them. And I'm showing examples and bringing up the command line or showing how you would perform that particular function. So there are ways to get around the boredom aspect right. of it. And a lot of that is just including things from the audience and having the show really be about what they want to hear. Right. And I wouldn't even call that a one man show. At that point, it's a call in show. Uh, but you're In just way, doing yeah. it, you're doing it, uh, uh, using different methodologies. And yep. that, that, that's a multi host show. You have, you know, dozens and, and I'm fine with that. And I think that, uh, that, um, methodology works. But I always I would love to try a call in show. Have you guys ever tried a call in show where people would oh, pick yeah. up the phone and call in? Oh, yeah. What I was did. Your experience? It was it was a great idea, and nobody called. No, that <laughs> it was nuts at night. I, when I started nuts at night, it was a me, and I, I had a, an open invitation. Anybody could call. See, I didn't have like screened calls lined up. I just started the show. It was at a certain time every night, and I said, "Okay, if you want to call in, call in." And I'd be like, "Come on, guys, start calling in." And there'd be people watching, but nobody nobody would call. Every once in a while, somebody would call in and you'd be happy. But it got to a point where I became embarrassed begging people to call. And I said, oh, I forget this. So it you didn't really like work PBS out that well as a call-in show point. in that respect. It turned into a pretty good show, but you just got to be careful. You got to get people lined up beforehand, I think, to really nail that. Yeah, I was saying at some point you sound like a PBS pledge drive. It's like, you know, <laughs> right. we've got five lines open, people. You got to use them. Um I, I would uh, the the one show that we do on our network that I think would be appropriate for that is called the uh, the periodic table where it's a, a talk show about uh, current events and and I would do that but man that's that's dangerous when you're doing it live with unscreened calls if I were going to do it do it I would want to have um, some sort of call screening mechanism uh, but also there's just the technology of having multiple lines and because if you give people a busy signal one time they're probably never going to call you again. Uh, well, there are some interesting technologies on the net. I, I was I've been researching this, and I'm asking the question because I'm I'm kind of leading the conversation that way because I have an interest in this. I want to do some of my study groups where people are calling in, and so I found a couple of other technologies on the net, one free, the one not, that would give me the ability to take calls. It doesn't have you don't have to worry about having physical phone lines. It queues them up for you. In some cases, even gives you a list of who's there. You could even have a producer or someone else screen the call before it goes to you. There's some really interesting things out there. And I think it's worth me doing a little bit of uh, playing around with that on one of these, if only to bring back a story to this podcast. Yeah, that'd be great. Let us know how that works. Why not just use Skype? Just curious. Uh, Because that's what I did. Yeah, you can, you can use Skype for that. Uh, I want to be able to take phone calls from real numbers, and I, I don't know if I necessarily want to buy a Skype number for them to be able to do that, but I also want to have it set up so that I could have both a dial-in number and have a way to queue them up and, and pick one at a time or pick different ones to go to that I wanted to. I wanted it to be more of that, that radio show style where I had a little more control right. than what Skype would give me. Bob gotcha. from Topeka has a question about Nmap, and uh, we'll, <laughs> right. we'll go to him yeah. next. Exactly. <laughs> nice. Uh, one, the only time I've ever used phone, and I hate it because phone sucks, it's an old 8-bit codec that was written in the 40s, and that's what everything is keyed <laughs> to, and that's what we use, and it's terrible, and people, stop it. The The entire phone network should should be upgraded, but that's never going to happen. I um, agree. 
But the, when I've had to do that, I've used uh, the call-out function of Gmail through Google Voice. So I, I load up my Gmail account. I have that piped in through a, you know, a sound card, just like I do with Skype, and I call somebody out. And if you set up your Google Voice right and set up the forwarding right, people can even call in straight to your, your Gmail if you want to do that. But I've never done that. I've always called out. And, um, and that works. And I've done uh, up to two people at a time using two different uh, uh, Gmail accounts to do uh, phone calls. But I, I don't like phones just because they're so poor audio quality. Yeah, that's true. It really is. It's I'm hard with- to get them into an audio recording, too. I have a digital hybrid in my office that is unplugged and sitting in the corner. I thought I'd be using it all the time. Uh, and at one point, I was using it quite a bit. But it, it's such a complex technology. You've got both your, your audio that's being sent and your audio that's being received over the same wire. And right. so the digital hybrid has to break those apart somehow with some type of elfin magic and just provide <laughs> a receive to this side and a transmit to that side and make it so it can go into your mixer and you can do something with it. And most of the time it works. I bought what really amounted to be a $1,000 uh, digital hybrid off of eBay for like $50 because somebody was throwing it out of a radio station. And I scooped it up and it's an old style and an old model, but it works great. And that, That's another option for some people. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah. Always go to eBay. Buy used gear, especially if it's your first piece and you're not sure you want to use it. Pick up something with knobs broken off for $30 on eBay just to find out if you like it. Good then point. you can go buy a real one. Good point. Craigslist, too, is good for that. Yeah. Cool. Uh, okay. So now now that we've uh, beaten that topic to death, let's get on to the to mix minus, which is really the hardest part about the setup. Once you get it set up, you're good to go. Uh, but it's the hardest thing to set up and make work. Um, and then we'll, we'll move on from there. So mix minus, as, as we've mentioned a couple of times already, we, we got four episodes in and we're, we already have these recurring themes. Uh, but mix minus is one of those big ones where you've got to send somebody the mix minus themselves. Hence the name mix minus. You got to send everything but them. So let's say you've got four people involved. You got two, uh, 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 in studio people and two, uh, out of studio to remote people. So the remote people, the in-studio studio people can hear themselves. In fact, you want them to hear themselves. That's a good thing. But the remote people, you don't want them to hear themselves uh, because of the, the transit delay over the internet. And uh, in fact, uh, there's an article uh, last week about somebody who's invented a, a speech-busting gun that basically does what uh, a poorly engineered mixed minus does. It, it records somebody and feeds back their own words to them with a delay and it causes a cognitive uh, effect there that that even the most trained people freak out. If you've ever been watching the news and seen a guy take his, his earpiece and just kind of rip it out, it was probably either feedback or he was hearing himself again. <laughs> and and they just they'll chuck those things because it, it really at the chemical level messes with your brain. Yeah, because um, you're hearing yourself like a split second after you say something. Right. It really messes you up. Now Skype is really good at filtering that out as part of its echo, echo cancellation. And in a pinch, I've done it uh, before without without using anything. Just send them their signal back. And Skype can sometimes mitigate that. Not wow. always. Mm. Skype is very good at that. I, I really give props to Skype for that. I mean, you don't you don't have to have a, a good mix minus setup if you if you don't have it and you just use Skype. Like you said, you could get away with it. It works. And what will happen is every now and then. It'll build up past a threshold, and they'll hear a spark of themselves jump in there. Mm-hmm. And, 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 what, 
and then they'll pick up with what they were saying. But right. Skype does does a really good job. Props to Skype. I mean, we've we've given them uh, lots of credit over the past for their compression, for their gating, and and for their echo cancellation. They're really good at that. Google Voice, by comparison, sucks, and it's really good. But you know, it, it's just that Skype is the Bentley, and Google Voice is the VW. They both do the job, but one does it much in a much greater style. Um, I just wish it were more reliable, as we found yeah. out last week with James. Yeah, it's true. So, uh, so let's start with uh, you, Steve, because you do things um, digitally. Let's talk about the way you handle a mix minus, and I'll, I'll tell you in advance, I'm jealous of the way you do it. I, I, well, I try to do it as minimal as possible, and I know you would appreciate that, Mark. I mean, I don't like to have tons of wires and, and stuff around, so I do it. I have a good piece of hardware that integrates tightly with the software, and I use a PreSonus Fire Studio project, it's called. And the reason I bought that is because it has three separate outputs, where I could put three separate mixes on these outputs. So um, let's just say they're output one, two, and three. And I could feed output one a certain uh, signal, output two a certain signal, and output three a totally different signal. And I, that's what I do. I send that out to my Skype guest. My f Skype one caller gets the mix from Skype one, which is basically everything that's happening in the podcast minus his voice. Number two gets everything in the podcast minus his voice, and three gets his voice. And it's all done nicely with the Studio One software. And um, I just click a couple buttons on my PC, and I, I got mix minus set up. So it's it was the most sane way that I could find out to get good quality audio to and from my guests is using that software and the heart and the, the box too. When you're doing things digitally uh, uh, and using a digital <laughs> mixer, you have so many options. I mean, you can, you can punch in, you just click a button and say, all right, now this person hears this and, and now this person hears that. Um, I was looking at a device recently that I'm, I'm considering purchasing that has uh, 16 inputs and eight outputs. So uh, all sorts of, of things there. But when you're looking at the specs on a website or if you're Steve and you want a box, uh, if you're looking at the specs on the box, what you need to look at is the certain terms uh, like uh, buses is sometimes what they'll be called, just like, you know, the big yellow school bus. Uh, every audio signal that can it can differentiate is called a bus. Um, uh, another term that you might see is, is uh, outputs, but um, make sure they don't say stereo output because if it says a stereo output, that's just the main mix going out. Um, and marketers try to trick you with this sort of stuff. So you want to look for something like, that says like eight in, four out or, or 16 in, eight out or something like that. You, it's important how many different outputs it has, how many different buses it has built into the device. And but if you, Mark, probably, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but pro ahead. it's like you said, if it said eight in and four out, that's probably two stereo signals stereo signals out so you only right. actually have two channels out because mine is i have I actually have six outputs but it's three stereo so i only get three monitor mixes out um, even though it's a, it has six outputs i can only do three separate monitor mixes out right. so yeah it's important that you really dig deep into the specs yeah and and find out um because it they they will intentionally try to fool you on this stuff they use language that's intentionally uh vague uh, um, I've heard it also called Q mix or monitor mix. Right. Like mine, mine said three monitor mixes out, and I believe that that's the wording it was using. Right. And so, um, in if you're using not software or not a digital device, but a mixer, you want to look at how many buttons are labeled aux, a u x, 
Yes. Um, the, the more of those, the better. Um, and, and that's an expensive feature. And so mics get, uh, uh, mixers rather get can progressively more expensive for every time you add a different knob that's labeled aux, you could probably add six or $700 to the, the mixer. I made that number up, but it, it does, <laughs> it does go up incrementally. Like you, you get a really good board, um, that, uh, you know, is 16 channels and, and all that sort of stuff. And it'll, ha- it'll typically have one or two returns and say it's 500 bucks. The next model up that has three returns is, is $800. The next one up that has four returns is $2,000 because that's the guts. That's the hard part. It's like the cable company that won't sell you the history channel. You got to buy all the other crap first. They know that engineers want the aux buses. So they pack in all the other stuff so that you have to buy all of that too. Yeah, I find it goes, the, the number of auxes goes up in proportion to how many channels the mixer has. You're never going to find like four auxes on like a, on a four channel mixing board. At, like you might find one aux on a four channel board. Then you got an eight channel board and that has two auxes. Then you got 16, that'll give you three auxes. And then you have to buy this monstrosity of a board with like 64 or 32 channels. You're never going to use them all, but you bought it just for the auxes. That's why I like to use it uh, in software. So you don't have to get this. I was trying to save desk space, to be honest. Right. But it's the same thing in the digital interface devices, too, that you have to get this big monster device to have the multiple outs. Yes. Um, so so um, to, to talk about the way I would do it in a mixer, and James and I use, I think, pretty close to the same mixer. I think he uses a 12-channel version, and I use the 8-channel. If uh, We've talked about this before. Uh, it's the Alesis Mixi, uh, Multi-Mix. USB 2.0. Um, and earlier on, well, actually just a few years ago, everybody was pushing Firewire for this. Um, but Firewire is, it's hard to find a machine with Firewire anymore. And you don't really need Firewire. USB 2.0 is fast enough and USB 3.0 is faster still. So unless you're doing like 64 channels, USB is good enough as long as it's USB 2.0. Yes, I agree. Now, if you buy a cheap little like Behringer mixer for fifty dollars that says it has a USB out, that's probably USB one point and it's probably stereo mix only. That's right. It's um, true, and that's essentially useless to you. <laughs> it's just it's at that point, it's not really even technically a digital mixer. It's just a a, 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 st- a stereo mixer. It's so, like yeah, it's like a nice mixer with a two channel sound card built in. Right. So um, the way I do it is uh, I have my uh, Alesis Multimix. Eight. For those of you watching, I will try to get it on camera without messing. No, never mind. Ooh. By the time I bumped my mic and everything, it, it screwed it up. That's so, a tough one. Yeah, I was going to try to show my equipment too, but I like, ah, forget it. Yeah, I need to set up a different camera. When I when we do the shows about our rigs, I will make sure I have a separate camera up and I can pan around. But So you've got the, uh, the mixer, and it's got two auxes. So right now, we're golden. I'm sending Steve aux one and James aux two. And they don't hear each other because on Ox, on Steve's channel, I've got Ox 1 potted all the way down. And on James's channel, I've got Ox 2 potted all the way down. They hear everything but. When I add a third and a fourth guest, that gets complicated. The way I do it, and there's the, the secret pro tip here, is that you can use left and right. Those are buses too. They don't need to hear stereo. You don't need to hear stereo. You don't need to record stereo. So when I bring in guest number three, I have him panned all the way to the right. And I'm feeding the left channel to him only. So he hears everything out of the left channel, nothing out of the right channel. For guest four, I have him panned all the way to the right, and he's running out of the left channel only. 
So all I do is pan him to the right and he doesn't hear anything else. So somebody says, hey, Steve's coming across a little loud to me. I, I, can you turn him down? Sure. I just pan Steve a little to the left. And now it's adjusted that mix for that person only. Yeah, I, I did a trick like that too early on when I had a, I had a little PV8 channel mixer. And uh, I definitely used left and right to my advantage as separate channels. Worked great. Yeah, and it's a cheap way to, to, to get the inexpensive mixer to go from two mixes to four, just like that. Yes. Online, I, do a, a, I don't even use the aux on mine. I use the, um, the Alt 3-4 bus. So I'm doing my mix minus by simply sticking my microphone on Alt 3-4 and then sending the Alt 3-4 signal then out to the other side of whoever is is calling in via Skype, for instance. Um, that way, I don't worry so much about the tiny little aux knobs that are up there that you have to manage and, and work with and that you can accidentally leave potted up instead of down. I'm using the main pots on the mixer, which for me just happens to work a little better. And I don't usually have a lot of different people dialing in, so I don't have to use a lot of, of discretion between those. Yeah, yeah, that'll work. That's another thing you got to realize. At that point, you have three or four different mixes. And yeah. so you really got to pay attention. All right, somebody says, uh, Mark, you're coming through too loud. Can you turn yourself down? All right, now, which one is that for you? Okay, you're an Ox One. Let me turn on my channel, the Ox One down. Uh, recently, um, while I was recording an interview, somebody else was talking, and I had to sneeze. My PR40 doesn't have a power switch on it, so I reached over real quickly and potted down to the channel going to the record my mic and then sneezed but the sneeze was so disruptive that it because i only took it out of the stereo mix i didn't take it out of the aux mixes it actually ended up disrupting the show anyway even <laughs> though i had taken it out the other person still heard it right so it uh you you at that point you got to reach all the way up top to the very little the top gain knob and that's hard to do in the time of oh my gosh i'm gonna sneeze that's not one you want to play around with live. Right, that's true. Yeah, right. You got to put it all back to where it was or approximate it. It's it's good to have a nice mute button, right? Yeah, and they make a, a stomp switch that you can uh, plug into uh, uh, a mic cable, but they're ridiculous. It's like 80 bucks for a stomp switch, so I looked into it. You can make one yourself. Uh, just use short out pins two and three, and uh, that doesn't hurt anything but, but uh, mutes it. So I'm probably going to do that. And just use like a guitar wah pedal or something like that that I can just stomp on it and uh, mic, mic it and then stomp it again and, and really? back in. So uh, that's that's my next little home rig thing I'm going to try. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I don't have a mute button, and so you, you'll hear me coughing and stuff. I get away from the mic as much as I can, right. but uh, I, I want one. I, I just need to find a way to get one because my, my box doesn't have it right on the front Since there. my mic is on 3-4... I, I can either pop myself down with the main mixer slide and then I'm completely out of the mix or I can just click the one button to go from 3-4 over to the 1-2, which isn't sent to the other side, and then effectively I've muted it as well. Yeah, yes. Um, James, do you have the, an Alesis mixer? Or you, what, what kind of mixer do you have? I do. I have an Alesis uh, Multimix 16 Firewire which uh -huh. has, it's way too big, and my, my personal philosophy on mixers that have built-in USB and built-in Firewire is that they are most of the time not worth the trouble 
of setting it up with the USB or with the FireWire. Mixer manufacturers are extremely good at creating very, very good mixers and aren't really that good at creating good FireWire drivers Amen. or USB drivers. Gotcha. I almost always will come off of that to some type of digital input into my computer. Now, yeah. I, now I exclusively do that. I will say that uh, on my rig, I'm running XP on my recording device because the Alesis drivers don't work in, in Windows 7 or Vista. So uh, in order to use Audacity, I have to keep XP around, but I'm okay with that. But it's, it's, it's a ridiculous thing to have to do. You know, I've yes. got to keep around a 10-year-old OS because that's what they wrote the drivers for. Um, but, you know, it, it works. It does the job. But at some point, I'm going to be forced to upgrade my software which will make me upgrade my entire hardware as a result. How stupid is that? Yeah, I know what you mean. I set up my FireWire and had it working so nicely out of the Alesis. I could record with it. My application would work with it. Then I would start what I would normally use during the week, which is GoToMeeting, which is my online meeting application. And it's one I use a lot during the week for doing normal workday things, which did not see the FireWire audio at all. So all the work that I put into building up the FireWire and getting it running and making sure it was perfect, you ended up not using it. Another experiment that just didn't actually work out. Wow. <laughs> that sucks. It does suck. I will say on my setup, I'm, I'm recording right now out of the mixer, eight individual channels, fully digital into Audacity. It sees all eight of them and it works really well. Um, but you know, you got to take the limitations of what you've got there. Uh, I, I tend to, I think that in the future, I will probably go with uh, the hybrid thing. I don't necessarily trust the way Steve does it with everything being in software because it's uh, it's comforting to me to have a physical knob rather than having to move the mouse over and do a click. And, and, and I'm not sure I can always do that quickly enough and smoothly enough where right here with a, a quick right hand uh, 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 twist of a knob, I can change something. And in, in, in stereo, in software, it's often a click and then an alt click and then a right click and then drill down into this menu to do the same thing. Maybe well, that's just they, a it does have issue. It does have gain knobs. Almost all the audio interface will right. have a gain knob. So you do get your volume uh, on an actual knob. But if you wanted to do add anything like add effects or panning or anything, then yeah, you have to do it in software. Yeah, or, or simply adjust the EQ. You know, I want to tweak the bass yeah. down a little bit. you got to yes. spend more time setting up. And you're less adaptive, but that's probably just my 15 years of of using hardware devices and my roughly 15 minutes of using software devices. You know, yeah, it is. come on, mark it out of the Stone Age here. It's all <laughs> it's all digital. It's all digital these days. <laughs> but I like the way James does it. He has he has both going there, and and um, the really high end equipment will have individual outputs for each channel. And if you can get that, that's ideal. You'll have a, uh, like, I think Mackie does that often. You'll have a, an eight channel board with each board has its own output that you can route however you want to physically or digitally. And that's awesome, but it's also spendy. Yeah. Yeah. We, we should, I don't know, uh, if we, this show, we should definitely do a show with uh, our experiences with audio interfaces because I've played with a lot of them. And um, until we do a show on that, I'm just going to say, for a good preamp, Focusrite has a really smooth sounding preamp. So if you see any Focusrite gear um, and you're thinking about buying some, uh, doing some podcasting, I don't think you could really go wrong with Focusrite as far as plugging your mic into that. They sound good. Awesome. So that's been two show ideas. I'm, I'm in the notes right now. Audio okay. interfaces. and what was I love audio interfaces. I, I love remember. playing with them and 
seeing which ones sound the best and which ones have the best mic preamps and the best outputs and I, I'm re- what I was really interested in is audio uh, digital to audio mark digital to analog conversion. Right. Um, not a lot of people are interested in that as much as analog to digital conversion. I want to hear something good out of my speakers, especially when I'm trying to monitor my mix. So to me, having good analog to or digital to analog conversion was important. And I, I found a couple good interfaces, so we'll talk about that later. Cool. I'm all, uh, some people, we were talking about this before we hit record, some people are in this for the art and some people are in it for the toys. Um, and, you know, it's okay to have a little of both. I think we all have a little of both. Yeah. But sometimes it's easy to get caught up in the toys so much that you don't actually produce anything. It's true. I got in so much trouble with being involved with the toys that I would just, I would mess up my rig every week trying to just play with a different feature and it would... Finally, I just learned my lesson. I just left everything alone. And I've, I've had the same rig now for like two years. I haven't touched pretty much anything on it. And I can see James actually trembling at the thought of leaving something for two years. It's, uh, <laughs> uh, he's compulsive about it. It will that. never, never happen. I've seen I him change his setting in the last two minutes. It's, I'm uh, going <laughs> to change it again. <laughs> James, you'd be surprised. When you find something that you're locked into, you're not going to want to touch it. So you say, but I, I just put into our show notes an idea for another episode, probably around the holidays, that would be our dream studio. Oh, cool. <laughs> I'm into that. I'll do that. Yeah, that would be cool. If 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 you had if money were no object, that would be awesome. Yes. Okay, so uh moving on a little bit here. Uh let's talk about some of the techniques for editing on the fly. Like I mentioned, you know, uh quickly potting somebody down. What are some things that you can do to make your post-production easier so that you can edit uh, while you're going. Um, and I think, you know, the, the ideal scenario there is that you have a good sound check beforehand. But we, we all know that doesn't always work. So, uh, uh, James, can you give us some uh, tips off the top of your head for a good uh, in-show, on-the-fly editing? One of the things that, um, that I don't do a lot of is on-the-fly editing. Most of what I maybe because I'm spoiled now, I've been doing so much post-production video work that I know at this point I can do a pretty good job of cutting things, adding things, and even in video, making the video do things that I want it to do. But but even so, you get to these situations where you want to modify certain things. And usually during the week, it's not necessarily a podcast that I'm doing, but I'm on a live session with somebody where I'm displaying my screen I have audio that's going out. Sometimes I do show my camera with those. Sometimes I don't. Uh, But one of the things that I always keep in mind is what they are seeing on the screen. And I need to know in whatever software I'm using, how do I pause this so that, that the screen looks like nothing is going on, but behind the scenes I'm checking emails and they can't see the emails because (laughs) they asked a question about something and I need a PDF file or uh, I need to very quickly the FedEx guy just went to my front door. Dogs are barking. How do I get rid of that really, really, really quickly? You need to know your equipment and you need to know your software really well so you can hit that one button and now suddenly you don't hear any of that noise. Yeah, I love a mixer with a with a an in-out or a mute button um, on each channel. Sadly, the only the more expensive ones tend to have that. But if yeah. there's a if there's a button labeled mute or a, a button labeled monitor or speakers where you can just, with a quick tap, mute everything, that's the great way to go. But you, you can't always do that. In fact, almost never. Um, Steve, what about you? Any, any tips there? 
my best tip for on-the-fly editing is to keep talking. Because the worst thing you can have in your show is uh, is empty space where it's just silent, like uh, silence in your show for any period of time, you know, more than a, a couple seconds. So if something goes wrong or if I'm trying to load a YouTube video and it's taking a little while, I'll just say, like, I'm loading a YouTube video right now and I'm still waiting for YouTube to load and uh, here we go. Here it is. So at least there's, <laughs> I know it's cheesy, but it's at least there's no silence because I think that that's worse. And I hate editing. We've talked about this before. So I'll try to get away with as much as I can of just continuing to talk if something's going wrong or if I, I'm trying to do something and it's taking time so I don't have to edit. But um, other than that, I don't have pretty much any on-the-fly editing techniques. Now, see, I kind of go the other way around. I do stop uh, because I know I'm going to clean it and fix it in post, so to speak. Uh, but a, a tip that you can do there is is what I'm calling re-introing. So you... Um, you hit a spot and there was a snag, some, uh, you know, internet access dropped out, something like that. Um, go back and repeat what you just said so that later when you can go back and edit it, you can piece the two together so that it sounds like a smooth conversation. Don't try to pick up, I think I was talking something like, no, actually say it again as best you can remember. And uh, oftentimes I find that I say it, said it better the second time than the first time. Or if, if the host, was, uh, the, one of the guests was talking, I will tell them, okay, you were saying... Uh, this go back and do that again and so they say it again and so it's just like you would do if you were you know at a play or whatever and somebody flubbed a line you just stop and you pick up where you go uh, where you were so that makes uh, piecing that back together easier later on good tips good tips and then do you, we, do you, do you, do you enjoy editing doing that post editing mark I do I, I still okay. enjoy it it's something okay. that I like to do alright I'll talk to you next year <laughs> yeah, yeah. When I've when I've got six hundred episodes under my belt, I may feel differently. Uh, but it, it's something that I still like to do. Uh, okay. But I do like to minimize that as much as possible, you know, and sure. make it obvious. So to make it easier, we we talked last week about I, I like to make markers. I've made several uh, just on this this uh, podcast alone, so that I know as I go, uh, I can make a quick marker. Or if you know if you don't have that ability. Just keep a notepad and look at the time. So at that, you know, fifty-eight minutes and three seconds in, something happened. If you can't quickly get to your stuff to make make an edit, and that makes the post production easier because you already know where the problem spots are. You're not scanning for it. I hate it when I've forgotten to do that, and I'm like, I know there was a problem somewhere around here that I need to fix. Let me scrub through here. No, that's not it. Let me go for it. No, I think I passed it. Then you go back. It's important to to make notes as you go, and I think that's one of the jobs. Of a host, and we'll we'll move right into that topic here. What are some of the jobs of a host while the show is going? We've talked about the technology, we've talked about the editing, but what should a host do while the the show is going? And one of those is keep watch of mistakes and direct things and corral things as much as possible. Uh, also, it's important, uh, particularly if you tend to have a, a, a wordy guests uh, or talkative guests <laughs> or hosts is you got to redirect you got to keep them on task as much as possible uh, and if you're bad at that if you tend to ramble find somebody and make it their job to keep you on task and and have them redirect when the show goes on because it's it's really hard as a podcast listener to hear a guy go off on a tangent and just never come back oh totally totally I would put this in. The, I would put this in the notes as a whole other show, like tips, tips for the host, tips that hosts do, tips on podcasting and communication. Because I could talk about this forever. But uh, go ahead, Mark. 
I'll, I'll let you lead. Okay. Well, uh, one of the other things is uh, that it's important for me, uh, and when when I began this from the from day one, even before day day negative fifty, it was you're going to set a tone for your show and for your network if you're going to have a network. What is that tone going to be? Who are you going to be? James has set up. He is the professor. He's a uh, he's an expert. So it's not appropriate for him in one of his Professor Messer uh, shows to tell a knock-knock joke. It's just, it's not the right tone. Um, now, he might do that on the Water Week podcast. That's a different tone. But he has a whole, he has a tone overall. He's authoritative. That's what he set up. Um, like, for, for my network, we are, uh, we are lighthearted. We're irreverent. Um, and, but we try to be professional. So you can be professionally irreverent. You can be both. But if you don't want to be professional, if you want to sound like a bunch of guys sitting around a coffee table, that's fine. But decide what the tone is going to be and set that and make sure that your hosts and your guests adhere to it. Any comment on that? I just did a, um, it wasn't really a podcast. It was something that was a live event, but I hosted a round table with a couple of people. And before I went into the round table. I had questions already set up, but what I find if you do have a guest who is on and you're doing an interview or you're trying to get them to, to participate in the podcast in some way, I find one of the hardest skills, but perhaps one of the most important ones is to listen to what the other person is saying, because very often you can come up with some interesting questions about what they just said and go down a tangent that you would have never thought you would be going down. You certainly didn't prepare it. It's not in your notes. It's not a question you wrote down, but it's one of those things where now the conversation's taking an interesting turn. And of course, when you're asking questions about something that someone is saying, they're now much more interested in giving you that answer. Right. I've often said, chase rabbits. Rabbits are good. Chase them to their inevitable conclusion and then come back. And if you miss five points, okay, skip those. You didn't need those five points. Yeah. Doing what James... The, the pros, go ahead. I'll, I'll just say something. What you just said makes your guests want to come back because they feel like they just had a converse. They just felt like they had a conversation with you. If you do what James just said, they're gonna your your guests are gonna forget they're on a podcast and they think they're just gonna have a fun conversation with you. And they're gonna be like, when, when you're on your show, they're gonna be like, it's over. Oh, we were just talking. Like listening to your guests is huge. And it's like he said, you get questions. You get the next question based on what they say. That's a good way to do it rather than having a list of set questions that you're going to ask no matter what. You know, Listening to your, your guest is huge. Um, One of the best guys for doing that type of interview is Ron Bennington, who is uh, of the Ron and Fez show on XM Radio, who also has an interview show that he does. Um, and, and just to listen to his style about the way it works, and you realize he's not doing a lot of talking. But the questions that he asks and, and where he goes down the road with his, his people who he's sitting with, the, the people he's interviewing, takes these remarkable turns. And he's, he's really, you can tell, someone who's really seasoned and really a pro and, and really understands how to lead that conversation. Um, another guy, uh, Letterman, is really good at that. Um, he's really good at actually listening to people. Hmm. Um, so, uh, another thing that you, you talked about, Steve, is, is you got to make the, the guest feel comfortable. Um, and, uh, sometimes a way to do that is to, to mediate the peace. If you, I don't know on your shows, if you ever get into heated arguments, but on some of our shows, we do. Um, and 
it's okay to have an argument. It's okay to have a, a discussion, but you got to make sure it stays civil. And you as the host, that's your job. The way I like to look at it is I have invited these people into my digital living room and I'm the guest there. I'm the host and they're my guests. So I, I want them to feel safe. I want them to feel comfortable. And, um, and then from there, let things happen in a controlled chaos manner. Uh, and, and often when you have regular hosts, like for example, on your show, Android App Addicts, when you have the same hosts that are there on a regular basis, they get really familiar with each other and it can turn into sort of a frat boy atmosphere. And as the host, it's your job to manage that. Sure. Yeah, I, I definitely don't think you should get into like huge controversial arguments where there's like hate in the air. You know what I mean? If you want to start a show like that just to get some attention, go go be on a reality show, you know? But my, I find that podcasts where people are friendly and respect each other, it just they just flow along so smoothly. It's, it's fun to listen to. And respect is a very key there. You have to exhibit respect and you have to expect respect. And feel free to bounce somebody who, who isn't. You know, the way I look at it is that's my brand. If you start impinging on my brand, I'm going to bounce you. I'm, I'm going to throw you off. You're not going to hurt me on my brand just because you're a tool. Oh, totally. I, I, I do that to a fault. <laughs> I, 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 when somebody doesn't feel like, when I feel like somebody's not respecting my show the way I, I think it should it deserves and i mean I, I don't go crazy with it but some people are you're disrespectful and in the things that they do or they say on your show and uh yeah you, you have the right to just uh not either not have them on anymore or kick them off i mean you don't really owe them anything they're they're it's their privilege to be on your show is the way i look at it right any comment there james you you were nodding uh knowingly one of the things that that i run into often is a lot of my interactions with people along these ways aren't in podcasts. As I mentioned, I just did a more than one person podcast, started that a few months ago, but I'm often in meetings with a lot of people and it's over a telephone and in business or even in not business, um, you get into situations where there is an escalation of emotion. And if you can become skilled at identifying that and then disarming whatever's going on, it actually makes it much better for everyone. Yeah, I, that's I, a good skill to have. I am a technician by trade, a podcaster by avocation, and the only thing I'm actually trained to do is be a counselor. So uh, <laughs> I use those tools, I think, from time to time. Is <laughs> I have a psychology degree with with a counseling specialty, so uh, it does come in handy to be able to do that to be able to un understand people. And you could be in sales. I, I guess I could be in sales. I could. Uh, the only trouble with that is I'm too honest. So uh, honesty what, and sales don't often go together. Of course they do. <laughs> <laughs> Just depends on what you're selling, right? I guess um, it does. And the, the last thing I have under the list of uh, host duty and one that I'm doing right now is watch the clock. Um, don't let your show go crazy. Uh, you know, know when to wrap it up and bring things in for landing, but also don't get carried away. You know, I, I used to, when we first started doing our podcast, I was like, okay, we're going to do a 30 minute podcast. I hope we can get enough content for 30 minutes. And then they started bleeding over to 45 and 50 minutes. And it's like, we find that 50 to 60 is a pretty comfortable area that, that fits into most people's, but I'm not afraid to go 90 if it's a good com conversation. Um, and, and that's okay too. But the host has to be responsible for that because I guarantee your guests aren't. Or worst case scenario, they are watching the clock, wishing you would let them go. 
and being too polite to say something, particularly when it's something that somebody that you have solicited. Now, if if it's somebody who's asked to be on your show, it's a little different. But if you've solicited somebody and said, hey, will you come on my show? It's critical that you respect their time. And when, when I do that on all my shows, I always give them the option. We can do your interview and send you on your way. And then we'll go back and we'll do the show wrap up and we'll do the show intro. And I will cut that all together later. I'm not going to make you sit here at the beginning of the show where we talk about uh, software in a box. If you don't want to, I give you the option there. So it's it's absolutely critical that you respect people's time, including your listeners' time. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's like you said with um, yeah, totally. When you have a guest on that you invited, and um, he's you know like a, maybe a higher profile person or something, you just have to be alert for indicators in people. Like what? Look at if you have them on video, you got to watch their face. You just have to be alert. Of the tone in their voice, the look on their face, what their reaction is, and if they are getting a little edgy and and you, you they want to kind of get it, start wrapping things up, you just got to be alert for that and just act accordingly. But um, you'll be able to get a feel for that kind of thing as you're talking to the person if you're in good communication with them. And I find more often than not, I know, we we just have a great conversation and and it's just it's just over. There's not really any pressure to do that or to you think you're going to go too long. It's just get you just. Go with your gut. You go with your instinct, and you get a good feel for that. My concern with timing has to do more with, well, certainly with the flow of the show. I think it needs to keep going, and you hate to have those situations where, ah, so. Yeah, and the next thing we're going to talk about is this. Uh, But with video, I'm also very concerned about bandwidth. It is not easy to produce a video show, and it's even harder to distribute a video show. There are much, much larger files you have to work with, and you have limitations on how much bandwidth is available to you, and there's many different methods to go about solving that, and all of them tend to involve money. So, But to keep the show down to 30 minutes is going to be functionally easier for your listeners to get the show, and then ultimately it's also going to be easier not only from a, a usability perspective, but often a financial perspective to make sure that you keep the show within a certain time frame. Hmm. That's a good point. That's a good point. I guess any other basic host guest or uh, host uh, responsibilities that I have left out? I got one that I think you do exceptionally well, Mark, I must say. And I've not done this a couple times and it never, it, it always sla- hits me in the face when I don't do it right. And that is when you have two guests on the show and you are the host and you, you uh, want to talk about a certain thing, you ask either me or James to talk. Or you, you say, what do you think about this, James? Or what do you think about this, Steve? You never say, um, hey, guys, what do you think about this? You know, or, or maybe every once in a while when it's appropriate. But I find in my shows when I'm like, so what do you guys think about all this? And all three guests will start talking at the same time. So it's a really good idea to pick the person you want to answer the question and address it to them. It really keeps the show revolving well and, and evened out. So I think you do a great job of that. Thank you. My yeah. tip would be for you, for people who are interested in doing this, to watch other people do it. I love watching the Today Show. And to Steve's last point, they do exactly that. They, they refer questions to people because they have three and a half minutes to get that interview in. And if everybody's stumbling over each other trying to get the answer out, they'll never get it finished. Um, so people are, who are doing interviews constantly, especially morning shows, tend to do a ton of those, are great places to watch how they do it. And for me, I'm not only watching 
the method that they're using to go through the interview, but I'm also watching how they're presenting that interview to others. What are the camera angles? What type of audio are they using? And get some interesting tips that way. Hmm. Yeah, one of the reasons we called this show the art of podcasting and not podcasting gear is is that there's so much more to it than just having a mixer and an audio interface oh, and going. Totally. Um, you really, it, it is an art. It's something you have to study. It's something you have to uh, have a talent for, ideally, and then hone that talent. And you're right. Watching the people who are the best in the world do it um, is a great way to learn. Um, I listen to... Um, you know, talk radio, not because I care about what they say, but because I'm doing, I'm in that business. This is essentially talk radio. I want to listen to how they do it. I want to listen to how they handle people. I want to see what they do. Uh, 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 Steve, uh, James is much more into video. So he's watching camera angles and watching lighting and paying attention to that. Look at the masters of their craft, watch them and learn from them. Uh, it's a very important thing to do. Big time. When I was, when I was learning how to play guitar, Mark, I bought four. I, I start. I got decent, right? And I bought after I got pretty decent. I bought four books. I bought Joe Satriani, Van Halen one, um, Eric Johnson, and I can't remember the oh, an Extreme, the band Extreme. And I those were the best guitarists I've ever heard and seen. And I practiced what those guys did, and I became a much much better guitarist for doing that. So translate that into uh, anything you do, and I think it applies. Wow, you you that's some eighties power bands right there. That's oh, yeah. stuff. Extreme. They can those guys could play, man. They're yeah. incredible. <laughs> Three sides to every story, one of the best albums ever. Which one? Three sides to every story. That's uh that's their it's their three way concept album. There was an A side, a B side, and a C side. Really? Yeah. Awesome. Good stuff. Uh okay, so that's uh that's it for my notes. Did you guys have anything else that you wanted to add before we uh uh move on to the things we learned this week? No, I'm good for lessons learned. Yeah, let's go to the wrap-up. Okay. So uh, the the regular scheduled tip uh, part of the show is uh, uh, lessons we've learned this week. And my first one, uh, my one for this week, is be flexible. Not that I didn't already know that, but I, I had to relearn that this week. On, on two of my shows, I either had primary um, hosts or guests bail at the last minute, or I had uh, the subject at hand completely change like within a few minutes or a couple of hours before they were going. And so having a backup plan, and we've talked about how I'm neurotic about backups. I have backup topics as well as backup uh, backups for the shows and everything else. I'm always, I try to always be ready, but you got to be flexible in this sort of thing. If you're going to do something um, like this, particularly if you're depending on other people, I mean, one of my hosts literally fell down the stairs. Okay. Now, that's not a metaphor. He literally fell down the stairs Whoa. and sent me a text on his way to the hospital. So, you know, what What can you do? You, you have to be able He's to. He's fired. Just fire yeah, That's right. He's done. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm sick of you. I'm not putting up with this anymore. You're so undependable. Um, so, yeah, you have to be ready to go. And and while I've never done it before, I would be willing to come to this mic as a one person and do a show if I needed to. I got, like I said, I don't agree with that show in principle, but I think it's better um, to be honest about that, I would come on and say, all right, here's the deal. Here's what happened. And you're probably not going to get my A game tonight. Just set that up right there. It's okay to admit that and say, go ahead and delete this episode if you want. Um, because, but I would rather do that than not produce anything at all. And in fact, um, on most of my shows, we try to be ahead like a week or, or, or so, so that something can happen and we can have some delays. 
but on the ones that are more time sensitive, I try to have a backup show in the can. Like we've got a show of the Taiwan Tech uh, we call episode X, so we don't know when it's going to happen. It's been recorded, it's edited, it's ready to go. At any point, if one of us comes down with laryngitis and we can't do a show, I can publish that one. <laughs> That's interesting. So be flexible. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I suck at this. This is not. I, I'm I'm the opposite of Mark. I need more backup plans and uh, plan Bs for when I'm doing my podcasting. There's oftentimes if, if a guest doesn't show up, I will not do the show. <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I'm. I'm. I need to work on that. Okay, that's so my, uh, Steve, since you're the one doing the talking right now, what was your uh, lesson learned this week? Oh, um, my lesson learned was I, I worked on a project this week. Uh, I talked about it at the beginning of the show, WiseTechnician.com, and um, I had to do a lot of video editing and a lot of website designing and a lot of work at the computer. And um, you're going to find, if when you do podcasting, you're going to spend a lot of time doing editing and preparation and all this stuff. My, my lesson learned was take breaks. Go outside, even if you don't feel like it, and start walking. Just pick a direction and start walking in it. And about 10 minutes into your walk, you'll feel much better. You know, Give your eyes a break. Give your body a break. Get, get some space. And uh, do that often because um, even though you don't feel like you need to, if you're really into your work, uh, spending like eight hours in front of a computer all day is just not good uh, mentally, physically, in any way. So just take take breaks. Okay. And uh, James, what about you? I think that's a great tip, by the way. My studio is set up so that I have curtains around all the windows. There's no light coming into the room intentionally because you're shooting video. You want it to be a controlled amount of light. I get up and walk around whenever I can because of that. Um, my tip of the week uh, is about what I had to do to get on this podcast tonight because I didn't realize I would be traveling until very shortly before I had to leave. And so, of course, I, I do this on Sunday nights and I couldn't bring my entire studio with me onto the plane. It just wasn't practical. And at this point, I've not really built for myself a travel studio. I have ideas of what I would like to get, but I don't have one yet. So I had to think about things that I could do. I went into my big box of cables. Everybody probably has a big box of cables. You go in there, you start pulling things out. What's in here that I can use? Is there a microphone? Oh, here's a mic. Let's plug it in and try it. And got nothing. Didn't work. Threw it away. Found another one. It didn't work. Threw it away. Ultimately, it was not my number. My first option, I would have rather gone out and purchased a USB microphone to use tonight, but I ended up going into my laptop directly with a headphone headset with the microphone on it that normally you would use for your mobile phone. And now I'm using that in Skype. And I did some testing in Skype and listened to it. It's not horrible. It's not what I like, but it's something that's certainly passable for what we're trying to do. But I also thought ahead, of course, and, and uh, we're doing this over a lot of bandwidth. I have a Verizon LTE 4G card, and I knew I would be in a city that had 4G support. So I'm getting about 15 megabit down and another 3 or 4 megabit up. It's almost like having a cable modem and, and doing the whole thing over a wireless connection. And it's worked out pretty well, but I know now what I want to get for the next time. Again, it's those learning process you go through. And I know that I'm going to get a microphone to try to do this on the road, and then we can bring it into another uh, episode. Of course, in the greatest of ironies, the only time you've broken up this entire show was when you were bragging about how much bandwidth you have. 
Well, of course, that's the way it works. <laughs> it's technology. Now, of course, because we had audio problems last time, I am recording exactly what we are saying the entire time. <laughs> and if we had to go back to the audio, we absolutely could. Yeah. Did you listen to that show? And did you want to nope. vomit all the way through? Nope. No. Nope. Not gonna. <laughs> nope. Honestly, I wouldn't put up with that ordinarily, but the content was so good, it was okay to live up, uh, live with the uh, audio quality. But it was kind of hard to listen to. Never again. Never again. And it wasn't. That's handled. Time. Yeah. Yeah. Local backups are always yep. a good idea. Steve, are you recording on your end too? No, I thought about it, and I, I got the idea from James. I was like, I should do what James said last show, and I, I didn't. I trusted your <laughs> your recording would be perfect, Mark. Yeah, or at least heavily edited. <laughs> I lost you on the Google Hangout, but I'll get on there after the show. I don't want to mess anything up here. Yeah, it's all right. No big deal. Okay, so I think uh, I think that's it for me. Uh, I'll give you guys, obviously, the last chance to have the last word. Uh, also, to tell us where we can find more about you and your stuff. Uh, James, we'll start with you. Uh, give us your last bullet. Uh, coming up this week, uh, of course, you can always find me at whatawekpodcast.com, and all of my free training can be found at professormesser.com. I do a live one, sometimes one-and-a-half-hour session online once a month for the A+, and once a month for Network+, and our A+, one is coming up on Saturday. So if somebody wants to sit into a live session, contribute in the chat room, we usually have over 100 people in there. They're talking back and forth, watching the video, and, and giving us really good ideas of things to talk about and, and have conversations with. That's a great opportunity to do that. You can see all of that at professormesser.com slash live. Awesome. All right, Steve, same question. Uh, definitely. If you guys are listening to this podcast, then I'm assuming you're interested in podcasting. Well, I kind of dumped, I did a brain dump of everything I know and learned through the last several years of podcasting into one seminar I performed on a weekend in July last year and uh, recorded that, edited that, and I released that as a product and you could find it at howtopodcast.biz. Uh, it's, it's video. It was, it was it's the exact video of the live seminar we did, plus um, all the editing and nice text lay, layovers and everything. So it, it's a polished product, and um, it's got a lot of good stuff in there. So I highly recommend checking it out. All right. And uh, you can find me where you found this podcast, elementop.com. And people ask, by the way, that's L-M-N-O-P. It's a play on, on that. People don't get that, amazingly. And uh, you can always tell when you're dealing with somebody, you know, under 40 or over 40, when I say it's Opie, like Opie Taylor, the people over 40 go, oh, okay. The younger ones go, what? Yeah. ElementsOpie.com. So check that out. Uh, also, we have the Art of Podcasting forums. I'm glad to see there's some activity going on in there. Keep it up. Um, these guys, I hope, check in there uh, periodically. I know I do um, often. Uh, submit your feedback, your questions, your comments, and let us know what we're doing well and what we could be improving on. And uh, I, I would like to see, uh, hear your techniques. You know, if you guys are doing something differently than we are, tell us about your your mixers and tell us about your uh, studio. Tell us about uh, your uh, portable rigs, whatever. Just let us know. Um, so anyway, elementop.com is a place to do all that. So on behalf of James Messer and Steve Gerabino, I would say this ends this episode of The Art of Podcasting.